Welcome to The Positivity Effect, where paying it forward and doing something positive in someone's life can provide them with the confidence and motivation to do the same for someone else. Like a stone dropped into a lake, let's create a ripple effect of positivity throughout our world. And it begins with your host, Dr. Thomas Retcher. Hey, what's up, guys? Dr. Tom here, and you're listening to The Positivity Effect, episode number 90, The Art of Sprinting. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's show. We have an excellent episode lined up for you, but just a couple of quick announcements. Come find me on Snapchat. My username is tretcher. It's my first initial and my last name, R-E-C-H-E-R. Come connect with me, guys. It's been a lot of fun connecting with some of you and hearing how the show is impacting your lives and how you are paying it forward and creating a ripple effect of positivity in your world. Number two, the Positivity Effect store is live. Head over to PositivityEffects.com and if you put in the promo code LAUNCH during the month of May, you'll get 10% off your order. Today I have on Stephen Sashin and he's the CEO, visionary, and marketer for Zero Shoes. Zero Shoes is a company that makes minimalistic type footwear. And it's really interesting to have Stephen on today to hear his perspective and all of his research into why it's really actually important for all of us to be wearing more minimalistic type footwear and why human beings were just meant to not really actually wear shoes. It's Traditional footwear is really not that protective in a way for our shoes in terms of of our actual body mechanics. So it's really interesting to hear all of this from Stephen. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to get way more into it tomorrow. Today, he's really here just to share his story. And we have a really fun, cerebral kind of conversation. And it's a lot of fun connecting with him. And a few things about Stephen. He is a Masters All-American sprinter, one of the fastest men over the age of 50 in the U.S., and a former All-American gymnast. He was also a professional stand-up comic, cognitive psychology researcher, and taught Tai Chi and Zen archery. Stephen is also the creator of Scriptware, the industry standard word processor for film and TV writers. And it's really inspiring to hear today just all the work that he's put into Zero Shoes over these last six and a half years. And they've even been featured on media outlets such as Shark Tank, NBC, National Geographic, ABC, amongst many others. Today we talk about some interesting perspectives, some visualization, or as Stephen likes to call them, anti-visualization techniques that he uses, and just the meditative art, really, behind sprinting and, and really his love of sprinting. It's, it's very interesting to hear his perspective of sprinting and long-distance running because he is just so entrenched in this world of running. So I'm super excited to kick off today's episode, no pun intended. If you are interested, guys, in picking up a pair of minimalistic footwear, head over to zeroshoes.com. That's zero with an X, shoes.com. And help me welcome Steven now to The Positivity Effect. Hey, what's going on, Steven? Welcome to The Positivity Effect. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Very happy to be here. Yes, yes. And we're going to, you know, we have a lot to talk about tomorrow because... 
it's pretty awesome about what you've done over these last six and a half years and, and what that means in terms of entrepreneurship, what that means in terms of fitness and running. But I want to get back into a little bit of your backstory of what, because we talk a lot about fitness on the show. This is the positivity effect. We're all trying to improve our lives. So what is that earliest point for you? What, when did running become so important for you? And, not, and then after that, we want to talk about why is running important for you? Oh, that's a really uh, interesting question. So I was that kid who was the fastest kid in school. Uh, so growing up, that's the way everyone knew me. And, and it wasn't until maybe my junior year of high school where that changed uh, and everyone got taller than me and I didn't get any taller. And so running changed from and, – and let's let me back up. Um, I've never been a runner. I've always been a sprinter. And I didn't even realize what that meant until I was in my 40s. Uh, I remember being a kid and being at camp and we had some big um, race thing. I can't remember what you call these things, but it's like it's this multi-stage race where, you know, someone's got to like carry an egg on their nose and then the next person they tag off and they the have to relays. Yes. Yeah, it's a, you know, one of those wacky relays. And the last part is about, a, I think it's a mile run. So everyone knew that I was, quote, the fastest kid in camp. So I was the guy who did the mile run. And I never knew anything about distance. And I couldn't figure out why at about 800 meters, I just lost it. And, and the guy against me just you know, flew right past me. And literally, it wasn't until, uh, so I, let me put in a weird thing. So I stopped running when I was about 15 or 16 or so, and uh, I stopped sprinting when I was about 16 or so, and focused on gymnastics. I became an all-American gymnast. And during the ensuing years, as I wanted to stay or get in shape, uh, I tried running, and it was just never my thing. I just never would go out for a run and enjoy it in any way whatsoever. And when I was 45, I'm having brunch with some friends, and a guy came in. He had just won a 5K. And I, it finally hit me. I said, you know, I love the idea of running, but I'm not a runner. I was always a sprinter. And he says, the words that changed my life, you know there's a whole master's track and field circuit, right? And I said, what? And so he hooked me up with a local sprinting coach and I got back into sprinting. And to this day, I make the distinction and say, I'm not a runner, I'm a sprinter. Like when um, when some of our stores will call and say, hey, you should come visit us and we'll go for a run. I go, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> they go, no, no, just like two or three miles. I went, no, no, here. Um, okay, why don't we go to the track and you run a 12-second hundred with me and then we'll run your two or three miles. And they said, well, I can't run a 12-second hundred. I go, yeah, that's my point. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a whole different game. Um, so I had this 30-year window where I just didn't do anything uh, when it comes to running. And then when I rediscovered the fact that there's this thing called master sprinting, uh, I've just been gung-ho ever since. And once you started really diving into this master sprinting, like you said, it, ch it changed your life. Well, let's just call a spade a spade. Uh, I don't want to brag, but for men over the age of 50, right now you might be talking to the fastest Jew in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's – I'm not the kind of person who uh, – I'm not stop. worthy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's not a lot of competition for that. So I'm not the kind of person who – needs or even likes having a quote identity as a something um, but I really like my identity as a sprinter it's just terribly terribly entertaining it's there's there's so much that you have to do off the track to be an actual sprinter so it 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 fills up a lot of my life and I really enjoy that and what was your question <laughs> that's all no it's awesome just to hear you know <clears throat> how how that really kind of took hold in your life and I want to talk about now a lot of people say like when they go running or sprinting that it's 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 very meditative for them. 
And if anybody mm. was to go and research your profile, you know, not only is, is sprinting a big part of your life, you've also mm. been interested in Tai Chi and, and, and Zen archery. So a lot of these things, they seem to kind of be tying together. Is, is that something that's, these things help kind of you get outside of your head? That's an interesting question. Um, I actually taught meditation for a number of years. In fact, before we started Zero Shoes, we were just about to kind of do a major push on this meditation course that I had developed, but for a number of reasons, decided not to do that and focus more on this. Actually, I'll give you the reason. When you deal with people's minds, um, you end up dealing with some very interesting minds. And when you can reliably help people dramatically and rapidly alter their sense of self. Um, there are some people who are so attached to their sense of self that they don't like the fact that you can change it so easily because they have spent their lives trying to change it. And actually, they spent their lives being the person who wants to try to change. And when you show them that it's actually easy to change, they only have a couple of responses. They either will go, wow, that was amazing, or they will have to kill themselves or try to kill you. And so it it's doesn't... very resistant, yeah. Yeah, it does not make for happiness. And since I'm not messianic and don't feel like people need to hear what I have to say, um, I couldn't justify continuing to make myself or put myself in situations where people would yell and scream and bitch and moan and complain. And um, it, it just didn't make sense. So that stopped. Now, for distance runners, there's this whole meditative thing. In fact, it's interesting. There's some great research that shows how distance running activates the same chemicals in your brain that smoking pot does so it activates your yeah your endogenous your endogenous um uh, i think it's beta cannabinoids but i'm not totally sure the cannabinoid receptors so that's intriguing is that that runner's high that's what they that's what they suspect that it is or at least it's related to that for me as a sprinter um it's a whole different game because I'm out there for seconds at a time, not minutes or hours at a time. But my, I, my favorite thing is at an actual race, the moment between set and the gun going off is the quietest my mind ever gets. It is tantamount to blissful in that second tops in that one, that one little bit. And then when you're sprinting, you've pretty much only got – time for like three thoughts and they're always something like um drive lift hold on <laughs> and so the simplicity of it it's actually very much like zen archery in zen archery where you're doing this crazy thing with this giant japanese bow and you're kind of right on the edge of control and out of control you only get a couple of thoughts during the practice of zen archery it's either striving or fear or kind of a self-aggrandizing thing or um uh, what's another one? Striving is kind of like hope or sometimes anger, but you only get like a handful of thoughts. And the whole practice of Zen archery is that over time, you just bore the crap out of yourself with your own thinking until you just don't pay attention and then things get very clear. So even though sprinting doesn't have that same runner's high phenomenon, there's a lot of moments in it that are very interesting. Actually, I've got to tell you, uh, something that I do, this is going to sound crazy, something that I do before each race race, an actual race. I'm at the starting line and I look at the finish line, 100 yards away, 100 meters away, and sometimes it looks really far away. There's this kind of bizarre mental game that I play where I imagine that everything I'm seeing is a projection on, like let's say imagine you're wearing glasses. Just instead of thinking that you're seeing through your glasses, just imagine that you're seeing your glasses and it's just 
what you're seeing in front of them is just a projection on the screen that is the glasses. So it's like a little, like Google Glass, for example. And if you think of it that way and realize that three dimensions is just an optical illusion, and everything kind of flattens out, and that 100 meters that seems so far away is suddenly right in front of you. It's, it's, it is no separate from where you are. And no separate, that's almost English. It's not separate from where you are. It's internal. It's just a mental representation. And there's something so strangely altering and pleasant about realizing I'm about to run to nowhere that um, I, I just have way too much fun. And so people will turn to me and say things like, hey, good luck. And they're really intense. And I go, hey, just I'll see you, you know, over there. And good luck that you don't end up injured and we have a lot of fun when we're done. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of um, – and, and there's one other meditative thing for me about sprinting. Sprinting is a, is a very exacting science and I'm very, being very literal when I say that. The difference between winning and losing can be less than a tenth of a second, can be less than an, a blink of an eye. And the thing that can make that happen – it can be just something as simple as the way you get out of the starting blocks, just a fraction of a second off. Or if you take one step that's just a little out of place and you can't get it perfect. So there's this never-ending quest for perfecting something that there's no way to do perfectly. And that's a really interesting practice as well that I, I really, really enjoy. Um, I, I love that thing where where it's really simple, one foot in front of the other, and you're just trying to get it perfect, but you just can't. And the recognition, realization of that um, is quite fascinating when you're trying to get better and better at something and you know the goal is literally unattainable. You know, it's interesting hearing that too from you because you have that, that science kind of medical background, how, you're, how, you're, how you are looking at that and how somebody else in the same situation may be looking at that. And... Um, you know, somebody told me recently, even just even with success, or if we're talking about losing weight, mm. if you look at it more of like a, I'm going to improve one percent every day for a hundred days, you're going to make you're going to start to make those improvements. If if you're when when you look at it like this massive massive thing, it's it's going to be a massive goal. But if you start to break it down into its little components and make it more bite size, it's, it seems <laughs> to be more attainable. Well, the flip side to that is bite-sized things sometimes seem so small that they don't seem like much. So I'm, I'm really working hard as a sprinter to get that much faster. Two-tenths of a second will make a huge wow. difference for me. Wow. And the amount of effort that I'm putting into getting two-tenths of a second faster before, frankly, aging makes it impossible for me to get any faster. And then I'm just trying to slow down how, how fast I slow down. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. And it's actually one of my other favorite things about being a master sprinter is that all of us are all of us who do it. We're old enough to know that what we're doing is utterly ridiculous. We're spending all this time for this thing. There's no prizes at the end. There's no reward money. There's no sponsorship. Um, you get the satisfaction. It's like someone will say, someone will, will, will say, have a good race. And I say, look, I just want to have fun doing it. And I totally want to kick your butt, but I just want to have fun <laughs> doing it. And so there's this weird thing where we know that we're working really, really hard for very, very small returns if they happen. And we're really competitive for no good reason, but we're old enough to know that we're doing all these ridiculous things. And so it's like having a secret handshake. You meet another sprinter. It's like, hey, you're an idiot too. It's so nice. <laughs> and, and I've literally never met anyone on, on, on the track that I don't adore. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, 
you're all competing, but it, it it's cool to hear that that there's that camaraderie uh, factor to it as well. Now, something you mentioned just before when you were describing this visual visualization process that you do, it's sort of an anti visualization. Anti visualization. Well, you said where yeah. you kind of bring bring it to your forefront. Everything is more vibrant, closer. It, it, it's interesting. Tony Robbins was talking about this. How, and I think we all do this with negative emotions without even realizing it. When somebody gets into that spin of this this negative pattern of thinking and then it, it starts spiraling and then they get really upset and then they're crying, whatever they're going through, they're making it more intense in their mind, mm-hmm. either by mm-hmm. smell, by color, by actual proximity. You know, if they're thinking about something that is worrying them, they bring it closer to them. And, I, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear that too now from the, the runner's perspective. Well, I'll tell you, I would argue they're not bringing it close enough. Not bringing it close enough. Yeah, and what I mean by that's that is that they still think that there's something out there that's making them upset. If yes. they realize that what's upsetting them truly is that they've had a thought or a belief that they're reacting to and that it's all internal, then uh, then there's a way of snapping out of that. Or dra- not even snapping out of it because, look, you can't be smart when you're stupid. When you're in a loop, you're in a loop. And there's some time where naturally your brain gets tired of being in a loop and there's a little space and you might get a little smart. But the, but the process of getting into the loop is the process of believing something that has been unexamined that is probably not true. And what you're experiencing is not just the emotion of some – it's not just an emotion. It's the effect of believing something. If you believe – Oh, I can't. I, I literally can't even draw, drag one up right now. Think of, give me an upsetting thought. Give me one to play with. Uh, maybe a pet that's going to pass away. Oh, I love that one because I've had that happen a few times. So, um, so after my first cat died, which was really exciting because the vet came over and we had to put her to sleep and he let me do the injections. And it was fascinating going in a moment from having my cat in my lap to having a body in my lap and I'm still trying to think of the cat but I can't localize that thought on the body and so the experience was just that my cat was everywhere because I couldn't localize it so that was really cool and then the second thing that happened over the next few days I noticed that I would think of my cat like I'd be walking around and that was the other thing she was everywhere like everywhere I went I expected to see her which was also fascinating and the thought would go like this it was very step by step the thought was hey I expect to see her B, uh, which was a very pleasant thought, then followed that was, oh, I'm not going to see her again, which was kind of neutral, actually, followed by I'm never going to have that pleasant experience ever again. And that was the unpleasant thought. And then I would be upset. And for whatever reason, I was very aware that that was the math of what was occurring. Pleasant thought of expecting to see her, neutral thought of, oh, that's not going to happen, unpleasant thought of I'll never have anything like that again. And then I got upset. And for whatever reason, after just two or three days of noticing that over and over and over, the last part just stopped happening. And all I was getting was, oh, I'm expecting to see her and having these wonderful memories of my cat. Um, In a weird similar note, my father died rather suddenly about nine months ago. And the moment that he died, literally the moment that he died, I suddenly noticed that the thoughts that I was having about him were pleasant memories, even the stuff that had been unpleasant in the past i was now framing as like ah it's just that guy and so my sister on the other hand was having a very hard time 
as my father was dying. And at one point she said to me, why isn't this bothering you? I said, because what you're doing is you're comparing what you're seeing in front of you with a memory of what you saw a week, a month, a year ago. And I'm just looking at the guy in front of me who's about to die. And it's fascinating. You know, it's, it's just, it's interesting to hear that because I'm kind of going through it right now myself with one of my pets. And, and you know what? I, it's actually going to help me. It's, it's a really interesting way to frame it that way. That, and I actually didn't realize that I'm doing that. Kind of, I kind of can relate myself to your sister. I'm kind of, I see my pet walking around, you know, health is really poor and it's, it's kind of coming to that point. And now I, I recognize, oh, I'm relating this to it's, ple- pleasant memory. Right. It's really simple. Um, you know, my cat right now is, uh, the cat we have right now is 14, I think. And every now and then I look at her and, and I think, wow, you're not going to be around for, for a whole lot longer. And I just feel these waves of joy that I've got this cat whom I adore. And the only thing that I'm doing different than what you're describing is I'm not imagining a future where I'm going to be upset because she's gone. And without that, I mean, what else do you have other than great fun? Yeah, and, and then it free, it frees you up mentally, because yeah. I mean I mean our brains are thousands of years old. They're not even wired for those happy. You know, they're not wired. They're always wired to just go back to that like that state. So it, well, they're wired. They're wired for both. But the, but we definitely we definitely have a predilection for imagining how things are going to go bad because that's the stuff that could that's really life and death. Life and death is not about happiness as much as it is about avoiding the unpleasant stuff. So we're wired to look for things that are unpleasant um, because you know we didn't develop the skill of looking into a glass of water and seeing bacteria. We developed the skill of going, ooh, that does not feel good inside my body after I just drank that and avoiding it the next time. So we're hypersensitive to unpleasantness. And we're, we, the pleasant thing is just a brief bit of, Hey, that's a good idea. And we don't need a whole lot of that to stay alive, but we need a lot of to stay alive. And now, unfortunately, when everything's pretty easy, we're still doing a lot of that part when it's completely irrelevant. When it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Well, Steven, this has been just so interesting for me just to kind of like pick inside your brain because, because of your academic background, you're just for me, you're inspiring in terms of the success that you've been having and, and everything that you're doing today. And tomorrow, we're going to be talking about Zero Shoes, and I want to talk about just that inception of it and to really, for people to hear like how much work goes into building something like this, building this <laughs> brand that you're doing. But also, it's, you are a visionary for this. You know, you're a master marketer. Mm-hmm. It, what would you contribute you know, if you were just kind of like, it's kind of hard to just say X, Y, Z, is this why I'm doing this? But maybe some things in your own mindset, things that you've developed throughout the years that have made you a visionary. Well, I don't. I can't answer that because I don't even know if that I, I would agree with the, the assessment. I appreciate it. This is very sweet to hear, but I I, I try to avoid self assessment. Um, the simplest thing that I can say is I have a fascination with the truth about things, and I like to get rid of extraneousness. So when it comes to footwear, for example, we've been living under for the last forty five years under some propaganda and mythology about what footwear needs to be. And it became very clear to me that that was mostly propaganda and mythology. And so um, I don't like when people make money by lying to other people. I find that reprehensible. And that's what's going on in this $100 billion plus industry of footwear. So I, I, I like that what we have in our situation is uh, something simple. It's called truth on our side. Human bodies work in a very... Well, not I was going to say a simple way, but that's not true. Human bodies work in a way that you can encourage or you can 
you can impede. And in the footwear world, most of it's about impediment. And I, which is interesting because because in the in that uh, the ped in impediment has to do with feet. So um, that's right. Yeah, I like that we what we're doing has to do with. I refer to it as a body of truth, and that's both academic truth, academic information, scientific information, physiological information, but it's also about the truth of how bodies work. These things have evolved over a long period of time to work in ways that are really, really impressive. And more often than not, not always, but more often than not, you need to get out of the way and let them do their thing with just the minimal amount of support, and that's what we're all about. Oh, that is that is awesome. We're definitely we're going to leave everybody hanging. And we're going to jump right into that tomorrow. Steven, thank you so much for coming on The Positivity Effect. Guys, head over to zeroshoes.com and we're going to be diving into it much more deeply tomorrow. Take care, Steven. Thanks. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Positivity Effect. I hope we stirred self-reflection in you on topics like transparency, compassion, and empathy. If you're enjoying the show, please head over to positivityeffects.com and support the show by making a purchase. During the month of May, just enter promo code LAUNCH and you will receive 10% off your order. If you haven't had a chance also, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. They mean the world and they help get the word out about the show. So thank you again for tuning in. See you tomorrow, guys, for another episode of The Positivity Effect.